Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following podcast contains dramatizations of actual events. Certain situations, dialogue, names, and locations may have been changed. Some scenes are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. In this Indianapolis suburb, Neighbors tend to avoid one particular house on the block. There was one person who recalls her mother telling her not to go into the Reese home because she might not come out. These folks were straight on criminals who were terrorizing the neighborhood, encouraged to do so and supported by their father. No one could truly imagine the horror going on behind closed doors at the Reese home. She was bound with duct tape. She was sexually assaulted and then she was killed. There was a real-life boogeyman living in that house. It will take more than 20 years and a string of murders before a dark and deadly secret is finally revealed. This is a family that did evil things together. It was completely diabolical. And when the truth came out, everyone was horrified. Nine one one. what's your emergency? I'm at Pooks Run. And there's a body down here. A desperate 911 call sends police racing to a creek known as Pogues Run. Pogues Run is quite public and it's part of a of a park. And so it was an unusual place to, to dump a body. But the police still didn't know what the situation was. Not at this point. Officers arrive moments later and find the body of a young girl. It was blunt force trauma to the face. It appeared to be a mark on our neck, like a strangulation mark. By looking at the victim's body, they were able to determine from the bruises that she struggled. Therefore, it was not a quick kill. There are signs the child may have been tortured. They found residue of duct tape on her. They found that she had been sexually assaulted. And then she was killed. You can't get more evil than that. The victim is quickly identified as 13-year-old Dawn Marie Stewart, reported missing less than 24 hours earlier. 
Once you know who the person is, then you can start checking her last movements, who was the last person to see her. Investigators learned that Dawn was last seen at a nearby home belonging to the Reese family. People feared them. That fear ran really deep within the community where they lived. The Reese's are notorious in Indianapolis for being a criminal family. And at that point, bells go off for the police. The Reese's had been terrorizing this neighborhood for nearly two decades. From the start, Barbara Fordyce was drawn to Paul Reese. Right. Thank you, so do you. When Barbara met Paul Sr., he just looked like an adventurous, exciting person. You been working out? There might have been an element of her being attracted to the bad boy. Paul had a police record that went way back. He was in trouble ever since he was a young man. He started drinking and a dope at a pretty young age. I got something for you. And he was involved in crime for a long time. He was involved in a number of burglaries and thefts. What do you think? Where did you get this? Barbara's hard-working, church-going upbringing was the complete opposite of Paul's rough-and-tumble beginnings, and she ignored his sordid past. There was part of his persona that may have been this bad boy, kind of rebel, that she found somewhat endearing. So I'm always thinking about you. And she just loved him for the person that he was. Thank you. Regardless of their differences. In 1968, they married and moved into the childhood home that Barbara inherited from her parents on Bozart Avenue in Emerson Heights. Emerson Heights is on the uh, east side of Indianapolis. It's a very kind of hard scrabble, blue collar part of the city. Paul and Barbara settled into the community and before long filled their home with children. The Reese children are in order of their birth. Paul Jr., John, Jeremy, Brian, Jenny, and Cynthia. Try as he might, Paul Sr. had a tough time staying on the straight and narrow. It doesn't take too long, however, for Paul, who is a, an inveterate drug user, to go back to his criminal ways. So he's burglarizing, he's terrorizing, essentially, people. Not a nice human being. Paul has used narcotics his whole life, and it's one of those things that's hard to break. He's a good example of somebody who should not have been a parent. Over the next several years, Paul was in and out of jail. Because Paul spent so much time in prison, Barbara was basically a single mother, and she worked a couple jobs typically to support her family and herself. Things started looking up for her and the kids when Barbara gets a job as a bank teller. I think getting a job at a bank was an attempt to really try to make a normal life out of what really was utter chaos. Perhaps the pressure was too great, or her husband's ways rubbed off on her. But before long, Barbara was caught stealing $1,200 from the bank. The temptation to steal was probably inevitable. It was, I'm sure, very difficult to try to support that many kids as a single woman in the 1970s on that one income, especially when your husband is in jail. To avoid her own jail time, Barbara pled guilty to the crime and was given probation. Her freedom was intact, but there were dire consequences. Now, she has a criminal record. With a criminal record, it makes it difficult to get any decent job. So she winds up as the janitorial person at her local church. She's the sole support of her family. 
And in order to do that, she's got to clean toilets. There was an unexpected benefit to the new job. The silver lining to Barbara working at the church is that her children are able to attend the parish school. So the hope is that they will be instilled with the wonderful principles of the Catholic Church. Despite her noble efforts, there was one thing that continued to get in Barbara's way, Paul Sr. Every time he returned from jail, he'd throw a wrench into her plans. Why do people re-enter terrible relationships? I think she loved him. That's a hard thing to overcome when you love and care about someone to not want to make things work, even if you know that things probably aren't going to turn out well. I think children learn by example. And if dad is always getting in trouble in and out of prison, that's the role model kids emulate, particularly boys by their father. Some of them are getting into trouble at school, were, were known as bullies, and starting to uh, commit crimes themselves. By the time the Reese boys were in their preteen years, it was clear that Barbara had lost control of them. They had a bad reputation. Let's take you guys. The Reese boys were known to be rogues. They didn't leave anything laying around where they could get it. They would actually enter into houses when people were gone and steal stuff. And this just went on for a period of years. It must have been very strange to live in this neighborhood where the adults were afraid of children. These folks were straight on uh, criminals who were terrorizing the neighborhood, encouraged to do so, and supported by their father. No, I've had it with you. This is enough. I don't care. After 11 years of marriage, watching her sons follow in Paul Sr.'s footsteps pushed Barbara to her breaking point. She did not want her kids to be continually influenced by the criminality of her husband. So she decided to um, separate and divorce him. Without Barbara around to temper his behavior, Paul's life spun out of control. Is that a new toolbox? Paul Sr. very quickly falls in love with another woman, and he winds up being with her on a regular basis. But he continues his criminal ways, and he continues using drugs. Paul's destructive drug habit was a constant source of strife in his new relationship. Just a little bump. You don't need it. What are you doing? His girlfriend says something that he doesn't like very much, and he hits the roof. He takes a claw hammer to his girlfriend and starts beating her. I think he probably beat her worse than he thought, and so he probably panicked. And so he called the police and reported it. My girlfriend needs help. So the police come, they rescue his girlfriend, and he winds up pleading to an attempted murder charge. On December 28th, 1979, Paul Reese was convicted and sentenced to six years. When he went off to jail, Barbara had an opportunity to kind of make it on her own, to establish a sense of independence and really kind of create her own path. Could prison help Paul Sr. change his life as well? A person who would do this, I would say there's probably a 90% probability that the police will see him again in the future on another crime. The worst is yet to come. 
Paul Reese has already made an indelible impact on his family. And together, they'll create a wicked 30-year legacy. Please don't shoot me. They murdered and robbed with impunity. These crimes they committed shocked everyone, including the police. It is a parent's nightmare. This is evil incarnate. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. An Indianapolis suburb is terrorized by a family of thugs. You've got a complete family of criminals. I mean, the only thing that could be comparable would be mobsters. While Paul Reese Sr. serves time for attempted murder, his teenage sons run ramshod all over the neighborhood. The sons stole things, and this just went on for a period of years. Paul Sr. is released early from prison for good behavior. With nowhere else to go, he returns home to Bozart Avenue. Hey, babe. I'm home. This is so consistent with a sociopathic personality because what he's doing is trying to ingratiate himself back into the good graces of his wife. Whatever you want. And all he wants to do is get an easy ride, and Barbara's his easy ride. Surprisingly, she takes him in. I'm sure there was hope on her part that he would change and that perhaps together they could start fresh and forge ahead with, you know, a new beginning. The reunion is short and sweet 
when Barbara demands Paul Sr. chip into the family's finances. I don't understand how you got out early. You know us Reese boys. Barbara eventually loses her job scrubbing the toilets, and the only thing she can get is delivering newspapers. Paul never paid very much support or helped give much money to the family. In fact, his behavior is worse than ever before. Not only does he fail to contribute money to the family, he introduces his sons Paul Jr., John, Brian, and Jeremy to alcohol and drugs. Paul teaches his children how to roll joints. He gives them their first beers. We're talking early teenage years. Forget about violating the laws. Smell that right there. He's completely corrupting his children. He was a role model, but he was a role model in just the opposite way that a father should be. Barbara is able to keep the girls in check. Actually, the four boys were in quite a bit of trouble. Get it hit a little bit right there. Two girls are going to they managed to stay out of trouble. That's right. That's some good stuff right there. I that out. He not only taught his sons how to commit crimes, but actually praised them and encouraged them to commit crimes both on their own and with him. Essentially, what we're talking about here is the formation of criminal personalities and perhaps psychopathic personalities. And they're about to raise the terror to a whole new level. Not far from the Reese home, Ted and Sandy Stewart get ready for a business trip. I had some pressing things I needed to attend to back in Dayton, Ohio. You guys are leaving early. Well, you know what they say, early bird gets the worm. While her parents are away, their daughter Dawn will stay with her Aunt Ramona a few houses down. Don't forget, no one over while we're gone. Got it. The last I saw my daughter was her waving goodbye out through the screen door at me as we were taking off. Bye. That same morning, two blocks away, most of the Reese's are still asleep, except for Paul Sr. and a friend of Paul Jr.'s, David Akron. Apparently, the friend and Paul Jr. were going to take some stuff they'd stolen that day to a flea market on the other side of town and try to sell some of the stolen stuff. So he came there to wake up Paul and then go to the flea market with him. What are you doing here? I'm here to see Barbara. She's asleep. She can wait if you want. Okay. The reason that Dawn was at the house was because she wanted to get her own paper route. And Barbara had suggested that she come over so she'd get an idea about how the business worked. Oh, look here. Who are you? I'm Dawn Stewart. I'm here to see Barbara. When Dawn walked into the house that day, she was at the complete mercy of the Reese family, and that's not a good place to be. Dawn never shows up at her aunt's house, and Ramona is worried sick. They thought maybe she might have stopped and got a Coke somewhere first. It wasn't until after she was a couple hours late they started really starting to panic. Like, wait a minute, she said, where's she at? Panicked, Ramona alerts Dawn's parents in Ohio. That drive turned out to be the longest one I've ever made in my lifetime because we're so far away and time is of the essence. Gotta get back and make sure she's safe. When Ted and Sandy get back to Indianapolis, the word on the street is that the last place that anybody saw Dawn was at the Reese house. All kinds of things were going through her head. They had a bad reputation. We knew that something was up, something was definitely wrong. Ted Stewart finds himself at their door 
looking for answers. Hi, can I help you? Yeah, hi. My name is Ted Stewart. I'm looking for my daughter, Dawn. Mrs. Reese came out, and I was questioning her about, you know, had you seen my daughter? Had she been there today? Dawn's not here. I'm sorry. Listen, I talked with a couple of the neighbors, and they all said they saw her come over here. She looked at me and said, no, we haven't seen Dawn for a couple of days now. No, you're mistaken. I've not seen Dawn. Mom! And then the youngest daughter spoke up. Dawn was here. <gasps> Mrs. Reese backhanded the little daughter. That's when I knew Dawn. that something was major wrong. Dawn! Dawn! Ted storms into the Reese home, searching for his missing daughter. Dawn! Dawn? Oh, baby, are you here? As Ted looks around, an eerie feeling washes over him. The time I was in the basement, the hair on the back of my neck rose up, and I just knew that she had been there or was there or something, but I couldn't find her at the time, and, and of course, there was no answer to my calls. Dawn! Having no idea what else to do, Ted calls the police. We went down to the police department to actually file a missing persons report. Officers scour the area, looking for Dawn. It's not until the sun rises over Emerson Heights the next morning that someone finds Ted's daughter and calls the police. Officers race to the scene. There were some obvious bruises to her face and on her neck. They appear to be carpet fibers on her face and hair and on some of her clothes. The carpet fibers suggest Dawn was killed somewhere else, then dumped at Pogue's Run. A medical examiner rules the cause of death as strangulation. But there is also evidence of a darker crime. They discovered she'd been sexually abused. So here was a situation where a 13-year-old girl is raped, strangled, and then the body is dumped. And it was brutal killing. And it was very clear to the police that whoever did this had no conscience whatsoever. News of the discovery makes it to Ted and Sandy Stewart, and they race to the crime scene. I just needed to know, is it, is it her, is it not? Whoa, officer, what's going on here? And that is something a parent should never, ever have to do. When they pulled back the sheets, it was instantaneous recognition. I knew it was her, but I couldn't believe my eyes. I made them let me look again to make sure. Her. Who do you think did this? Someone in the Reese family. The Reese family? Yes. And that turns the police in the direction of the Reese's. And so the next move is to go and interview the Reese's. Detectives can't deny the connection, and they want to know what happened in that house. Five hours after finding Dawn's body, investigators round up the Reese family. They immediately pulled in everybody who at the house in downtown to question about the homicide. The hope is that if this family is in some way involved, one will inform on the other. You don't know what happened to her? Paul Sr. is on top of the suspect list. Came over to the house looking for my daughter. She's wanting to talk to Barb about some kind of paper or something. Paul's demeanor when he's being interviewed by the cops, he is a cocky you-know-what. According to Paul, Dawn showed up around 11 a.m. All I know is she left my house, and I went to go see my buddy. What Paul tells the police is that, number one, Barbara's sleeping. Most of the kids are sleeping, with the exception of Paul Jr., who's downstairs with his girlfriend. 
After Paul Jr. wakes up, he leaves with his girlfriend, Susan Smith, and his friend, David Akron. We gotta roll. Money don't wait. Have fun. Do you wanna play pool with me? Sure. Play pool with you. The kids all left to go pick up stuff to sell at the flea market, and he and Don went downstairs and played pool. We said they played pool for about an hour, and he said then Don left. She left? 12 o'clock? In separate rooms, Paul Jr. and Barbara corroborate Sr.'s story. What were you doing that morning? Me and my buddy and my girlfriend, we left. We went to uh, the flea market. I had no idea she was even coming to the house. At this point, everybody's story sounded consistent. Still, detectives don't believe any of them. At that point, the police have to make a determination about who's lying. And so they got a search warrant. Police meticulously dig through the Reese's home. They find what Ted found earlier, which is garbage piled as high as the ceiling. Before long, detectives find truly damning evidence. They found carpet pieces in the basement, the same colors as he found at the crime scene. But most important of all, on a brick furnace flue, he found a big smudge of blood. And very quickly, they type the blood. It's type O, which is Dawn's blood type. Detectives feel strongly that Dawn was killed in the basement of the house, but they don't have enough to make an arrest. Perhaps Paul Jr.'s girlfriend, Susan, can fill in the holes. What the police do is they pull in Paul Jr.'s girlfriend to talk to her separately. And they say, listen, what do you know about what happened? She tells quite a tale. Well, that night, me and Paul were in bed. She said that her and Paul went to bed that night that Dawn had disappeared. She said she's asleep and all of a sudden heard noise around the basement and Paul wasn't in bed. She hears Paul Jr.'s voice, she hears Paul Sr.'s voice, and she hears Barbara's voice someplace in the middle of all of the junk. What's going on out there? Nothing, just go back to bed, we're just doing laundry. Susan didn't dare ask any more questions. I figured it wasn't really my business, so I just went back to bed. To the police, it seemed like it could be a very significant clue if they could figure out what was going on in the basement. Soon, a new witness comes forward, a neighbor of the Reese's, and she cracks the case wide open. She heard all kind of clanging, banging now coming from the Reese house. And she saw Paul Jr. and Paul Sr. carry out a rolled up piece of carpet that was sagging, like something real heavy in the middle. They put it in the back of the station wagon and drove off in it. What this tells a prosecutor is that the body was probably taken out of the house in that carpet and then later disposed of and dumped at Pogue's Run. Paul Reese Sr. and his son, Paul Reese Jr., are both arrested for Don Stewart's murder. But investigators have no idea which one actually killed her. Many times what the police do in, in order to try and either build upon a circumstantial case is arrest multiple people, in this case the father and the son, in the hopes that one or the other will turn state's evidence. Take me back to that date. Tell me what your dad was doing with Dawn. Paul Sr. lawyers up, so detectives put their money on Paul Jr., but he too refuses to cooperate. I'm not saying anything. These kids were taught by an evil criminal mastermind. I mean, so not only do they have this guy's DNA, but they've got his tutoring. 
on how to deal with the police. Without a confession or any solid evidence, the case falls apart. Back at the time, though, they didn't have uh, DNA testing, so they couldn't tell whether it was Dawn's blood or not. They were just blood typing at that time. Common DNA testing in criminal cases is over a decade away. There was nothing to physically tie the Reese's into the crime at that point. On its own, the neighbor's story about seeing the Reese's carrying the carpet will not hold up in court. The lady had seen him carry a sagging carpet. No one had seen a body. Prosecutors are afraid to move towards a trial. And in January 1987, Thanks. all charges are dropped on Paul Reese and his son. Just devastated me at the time that they'd turn him loose, put him back out on the street to maybe do this to someone else. When the Reese men return home to Emerson Heights, the family's reputation reaches an all-time low. At this point, somebody in this house or somebody's in this house have gotten away with murder. And the message to the people in the neighborhood is, these people are invulnerable. This gives the Reese's an incredible amount of power. They feel like they can get away with anything. People were afraid of them, and now they just gave them a little more reason for a little more fear of them. Paul Reese and his sons will return to business as usual. Paul Sr. was leader of a small platoon of criminals, and they were all his sons. They target an affluent house in nearby Johnson County. The way that the Reese's operated was as a team. Somebody heard what was going on, called the police, cops come, open the door, they find the four Reese brothers. Stop, let me see your hands. And they arrest them. A short stint in jail does nothing to curb the brothers' appetite for illicit activity. That low-level crime, when it goes unchecked, snowballs. It's an avalanche and becomes uh, much, much bigger crimes. When you can get away with the little stuff, you become emboldened to take more chances and to commit more serious crimes. Over the next 20 years, Don Stewart's murder becomes a distant memory and the Reese clan remains unchanged. Fueled by drugs, criminality becomes the family business, an occupation that keeps the men bound by a never-ending cycle of incarceration. Criminal activity became something that was just commonplace in this family. There's always somebody in jail, and that just became part of the way of life. Paul Sr. and his third son, Brian, now 36, bond over crack cocaine in the rundown apartment of Brian's girlfriend, Lana Bishop. Brian becomes the apple of his eye because he's supplying his father with drugs. What this tells me is that Paul Sr., smoking crack with his son, has absolutely no conscience whatsoever. The only instinct he has is to feed his habit. And if that means to take advantage of his son, so be it. The trio spends days on end with one goal in mind. They woke up every day and tried to figure out where to get money so they could get high. That's what they did. That was their job. When you have a family that's got drug problems and they're needing to feed their habits, that's a, that's a really volatile mix, and eventually things could escalate. We got any more, Pop? Was that the last of it? Out of drugs and desperate for a fix, Brian comes up with a plan to burglarize a house nearby. I got it, it's, it's okay. The reason Brian chose this house is because 
It was a beautiful house on the outside, and he figured that inside they'd have a lot of really good stuff that they could take and turn into money. Shortly after 10 p.m. on July 8th, 2008, Brian, Paul Sr., and Lana arrive at the home. Paul Sr. is standing on the curb. He's got a walkie-talkie to communicate with Brian, and Brian goes and, and cases out the house to see if somebody's home. He doesn't hear any answers. So Brian thought it was free, so he kicked the front door in. The 68-year-old homeowner is upstairs in bed. Clifford Haddocks had been asleep, so he is startled awake, and he goes to see what's happening. What are you doing here? If anybody got in the way of the Reese's, they were going to get murdered. Brian grabs as many valuables as he can carry and flees the scene with Paul Sr. and Lana Bishop, who are waiting outside. They quickly swap the goods for crack, but it won't be enough to support their insatiable drug habit. Two days after the Haddock's murder, Brian and Paul and Lana have apparently blown through the stuff they stole. At that point, Paul Sr. says, well, what are we going to do now? And Brian says, I know what we'll do. Let's do it. Let's go. Come with us. Let's go. All right. Brian and Paul hatch an idea to go rob Brian's drug dealers. The dealer, Demetrius Allen, lives just a few houses away from Lana. Ah, Brian. Hey, what's up, brother? He shoots Demetrius Allen right when he answers the door. Hurry up. Brian and his father are shocked to find Alan's girlfriend. So Brian goes in the other room. Their girlfriend is cowering as soon as she sees this guy with a gun. Brian doesn't hesitate, and he shoots her to death. Without missing a beat, they grab what they came for, the drugs. These were crimes of opportunity. These were crimes so they could score money, so they get high. That's it. They were more than willing to take multiple lives in order to get high. Police investigating the murder of Demetrius Allen and his girlfriend wonder if there's any link to the Haddock's murder. It was an odd confluence of crime within one week to have you know three people killed in two incidents a couple days apart. It was unclear if it was connected or not, other than the fact that they both seemed to be home invasion type killings. Working their informants, investigators find a link. Lana Bishop was talking to people on the street about having committed some burglaries where violence was involved. So Brian goes in there, we're out of all the money, he breaks in the house. The police hear about this, so they decide to go over to Bishop's place and talk to her. When police arrive at Lana's home, they have no idea the killers they seek are inside. When the police came to the door, Brian Reese opens it and sees cops, plainclothes cops. Hold on, just, just a second, let me put the dog up, all right? Police are kind of waiting outside, thinking that, okay, he's gonna put the dog up. Jacked up on crack, Brian thinks the police are there to arrest him. He makes a run for it. Inside, Paul and Lana are arrested for murder. Hands up! An APB is dispatched on Brian. Brian kind of goes into hiding but the police detectives know that the family always seeks help from each other. Investigators begin watching Barbara Reese. We have eyes on her. They sent some, some undercover officers over to the house on Bozart Street to Brian's mother's house, and they set up surveillance on it. And sure enough, they saw her leaving a van. 
so they follow her, and sure enough, she goes and picks him up in a parking lot. Brian, you know, again, pretty savvy, street smart guy, is able to pick up on the tail fairly quickly. And at some point, she manages to pull over, and Brian runs out, he's still armed. And there's one police officer in the lead, his name is Fishburne, give chase. Officer Jason Fishburne is right on Brian's tail. Brian kept running, and Fishburne kept after him. He's still chasing, but he didn't realize there was a cutout on the one house, and Brian was waiting behind it. He feels like he's a trapped animal, and there's no way out. Brian has to make a decision what he's going to do, and since he's already killed three times, he makes the decision to turn and shoot. When Officer Fishburne turns that corner, Brian Reese starts firing at him. Brian's first shot hits Officer Fishburne in the chest. The second one strikes him in the head. His getaway won't be as clean. Brian pointed a gun at the officers, and the officers shot him. Brian's down, but he's not out. He's rushed to the hospital, where he's treated for a bullet to the shoulder. Once stable, he's arrested. Officer Fishburne is also rushed to the hospital. Officer Fishburne thankfully didn't die, but he was injured severely, and, and that caught a lot of people's attention. On July 10, 2008, Brian Reese is charged with the attempted murder of Officer Fishburne and the murders of Charles Haddix, Demetrius Allen, and Allen's girlfriend. For years, the family has been able to hide their crimes behind a wall of loyalty. But now, prosecutors have penetrated that bond with help from a surprising source. Paul Reese Sr. immediately tries to save his own hide by telling the police that Brian was the person who was responsible for the killings. I'm, I'm telling you everything that I possibly can. At trial, Paul takes the stand and faces off against his son. Barbara doesn't show her face in the courtroom. Brian sits in silence as his father seals his fate. In the end, the jury only needs one hour to deliver a verdict. Brian Reese is convicted and sentenced to 189 years. Paul Reese Sr. receives a sentence of 20 years behind bars in exchange for his testimony. Lana Bishop only gets probation for her involvement in the crimes. I saw it on the news. My sister-in-law, she called me at the time and says, guess what? And I says, yeah, I'm looking at it now. It may be the break Ted Stewart has waited for all these years. Could there finally be justice for his dawn? I was getting phone calls left and right for interviews. So that put me out in front of the camera again, pleading with uh, the public, please, somebody come forth with some information. This case is 20 years old and has still not been resolved. She's always going to be mother of a girl. Detectives reopen the Don Stewart case, and with the help of modern forensics, they hope to close the investigation once and for all. The blood found in the Reese's basement those 25 years ago is retested. It belongs to Dawn. The carpet fibers recovered on her body are also tested. They are a perfect match to carpet from the Reese's basement. And so suddenly what was a cold case became a very hot case. Suddenly this case looked very, very winnable. 
On February 17, 2011, almost 25 years to the month of Dawn's slaying, Paul Reese Sr. is once again charged with Dawn's murder. I had said in my mind if it ever went to trial, I wanted to know everything that happened. In the courtroom, prosecutors lay out what unfolded in the basement of the Reese home that fateful day in 1986. We got to roll. Money don't wait. After Paul Jr., his girlfriend, and David Akron left the house, Paul Sr. made his move. Do you want to play pool with me? Sure. I'll play with you. She asked Paul if he wanted to play pool, and he did eventually go down and play a couple games of pool with her at the pool table in the basement. Don was just 13 years old. She probably couldn't have known what was going to happen to her. So you like playing pool? Yeah. Without warning, Paul Reese attacked Don. Where do you go? What? Where are you Can doing? Go? Come over here. Oh. Paul tried to sexually assault her. Where are you trying to get away? Oh. She wouldn't put up with it and put up one heck of a good fight. Go. You don't want to play pool anymore? About you wanted to play Paul pool. overpowered the young girl and knocked her unconscious. He then made sure Dawn would remain quiet for what he was about to do. She was bound with duct tape. She was sexually assaulted. After raping Dawn, Paul re-strangled her to death with a pool cue. The way that Dawn Stewart died is probably a parent's worst nightmare. It's, it's about the, the most evil way that a kid could be killed. Paul Sr. concealed Dawn's body in the basement until he could come up with a plan to dispose of her. She was hidden down there when Ted came looking for his daughter. Dawn? Dawn? Oh, baby, are you here? Where's my little girl at? I know she's here somewhere. The problem was the house was so filled with trash. You could have hit an elephant in there and nobody would have seen it. Based on the neighbor's testimony, prosecutors think Paul Jr. and Barbara helped dispose of Dawn's body that night. But the statute of limitations has run out on charging them as accessories after the fact. On June 22, 2012, a jury convicts Paul Reese for murdering Dawn Stewart. He is sentenced to 60 years in prison. From the standpoint of closing the case and having a sense of law and order, I think there was justice served. Many take solace in knowing that Paul Reese Sr. won't be able to prey upon the residents of Emerson Heights ever again. When I think of evil, I see his face. And uh, one of my last statements to him on the stand was that there's a special place in hell for him. And I'm sure that the day he dies, Satan will come up and drag him back down into that place where he so richly deserves. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.